Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, and uh, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center. And I have two very uh, distinguished guests with me. Um, Gary Barnes, we, Gary and I have literally done life together. We were in the same church for years and uh, have ministered side by side. We served on an elder board together for years. And um, you all know Gary. He's a licensed psychologist in marriage and family research and professor of biblical counseling. He's also an ordained minister in the Anglican Church of North America. I got to get all That's that in, right? right? That's right. Because it, it's a it makes a difference, doesn't oh, it? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. So... Um, <laughs> So, and then Wendy Miller, who's also a licensed professional counselor and a founding partner of Sparrow House Counseling. Now, that just sounds interesting to me. <laughs> what is Sparrow House Counseling? Sure. It's a private practice here in Dallas. We're a group of independent therapists that all work together as a team, and we treat the whole lifespan. So our, we start at age three. We have people that specialize in children in that age, hmm. and then we go all the way through the lifespan. and. You know, anything that's outpatient, we'll do. Now, so. the, the obvious question is, Sparrow House, where does that come from? Matthew 10, 29. Okay, very is. good. We, uh, we actually worked with a company here in Dallas to help brand our, our name. And we wanted something that was distinctly Christian. Mm -hmm. And yet, if you weren't a believer, it wouldn't turn you off either. Mm -hmm. So hmm, they helped us come up with okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for being a part of this. Yeah. Well, let's dive in. Oh, here's the context of what we're talking about. If you live in our culture, which is an easy culture to live in, um, then you probably now and again will have a um, f find yourself faced with what would be a difficult or an awkward conversation. And there are things that we do that undercut those conversations and things we can do to help those conversations be uh, at least have the potential to be profitable experiences. And so we want to talk about that a little bit. And I want to open up by talking about the layers that are a part of conversations that we normally don't think about. Um, so Gary, help, help us with that, because I think most people, when they enter a conversation, they're kind of uh, what I call, they approach it like Joe Friday. Old illustration, I know. Um, uh, <laughs> jo Joe Friday you know, was the cop on Gr Dragnet, and he would be investigating a crime, and he'd ask the question, and the question would come across, that, you know, begin, person would begin to spew an answer and give all the background to it, what I call the footnote answer. And in the midst of that, uh, he would look, whoever it was he was asking the question in the eye, and say, just the facts. Just the facts, ma'am. That's right. You got it. So, and so most people enter into conversations just thinking that's all that they're that they are are talking about. But it's actually more complicated than that. Isn't oh it? yes. In fact, there's no one model that describes all the layers. So mm -hmm. we have multiple models with multiple layers. Okay. So you give your model, and I'll give mine, and we'll hand it <coughs> and to Wendy, yeah, and she'll we'll fix just it all. See how many models <laughs> we can right. talk about. Uh, one of the models that I frequently find that difficult conversations have bumped into is um, they are having the facts and events conversation, but that's really not where the real conversation is. It could be one or two levels below that. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the relational themes or the even personal themes 
are actually activated or triggered by the fact and event, but I continue to have the conversation just at the fact and event level. Mm -hmm. To go down to the deeper levels requires that there will be a sense of trust and safety. And if that's missing, we continue to have the conversation at the fact and event level. And that's why you can talk about the sequence of the wash, the soap in the wash cycle mm -hmm. for 10 years mm -hmm. and not really get to what is that really connected to that we need to be talking or about. Or you didn't help me with the dishes tonight. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's really not about dishes. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but you could keep talking about yeah, it exactly for 10 right. years. Yeah, yeah, I can soap up those dishes all yeah, I yeah. want. As many times as I want, and I'm not right. getting there. Yeah, the, 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 the filter that I'm familiar with and that I often will talk about is there's the facts level, the topic of what you're talking about. There are the lenses and filters that you take that conversation through, and then there are the identity issues that are wrapped up in that conversation. Mm -hmm. And think about it that way. And then if I, I tell people, and if you have any doubt that this is going on, all I need to do is say two words to you. CNN and Fox News, <laughs> you know, they're looking at the same set of things out there, but they certainly are taking it through a very different set of processes and a very different set of results as a result. And there are things going on underneath what you're seeing in front of you that impact the way you are processing mm -hmm. what's in front of you. So, Wendy, how do you how do you help us with this? What what what's going on with the layers and, and how do you help people get sensitive to the fact that that's going on? Well, I think we still live in a time where people care more about being known mm -hmm. than what you know. Mm -hmm. And I often will say, you know, it's important to chase the connection mm -hmm. more than chasing change. Mm -hmm. And when we're up in those upper layers of just the event or trying to chase agreement, that, it, that that's the goal that we agree. And you're not chasing the connection um, where the mm -hmm. trust is built, um, then that's when we just stay. But here. I thought the goal of a conversation was to be right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you'll just keep chasing that. Yep. That'll keep you at level one. Uh, yeah. 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 Right. yeah. yeah. It'd be exciting level one. Yeah. So, um, For 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Um, so uh, so how, do you, how do you help build the trust that we're talking about? When, and when you talk about being connected, um, I know that one of the things that, that we tend to talk about at the center is it really is crucial to be a very good listener. Absolutely. You know, before you can even, even talk about whether or not you can agree, people have to feel like they've been heard. Mm -hmm. And so to spend a lot of time in the conversation making sure that you've heard somebody. And you may think you've heard them, but what matters is if they think you've heard them. Mm -hmm. And then after they feel heard, then you can go on to whether or not you understand what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And you may think that you understand them, but what matters is that they think you've understood them. So, I mean, I, I, I think most of us would understand this example, uh, and it would be, um, I'm listening to you, and my default position is to figure out what's my response to you going to be. In other words, I'm, I'm working with, in particular, if it's a difficult conversation, I'm working on framing the rebuttal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but actually, that process of listening, that kind of listening, is getting in the way of the type of thing that you're talking about, doesn't, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, because what you're doing is you're going to try to get them to agree with you, and mm -hmm. you've already skipped all the way to the top to chase agreement. Mm -hmm. You're not chasing connection. Mm -hmm. Connection happens in the listening and the understanding. 
And so to get back down and let go of the rebuttal and, and leave that till the end, mm-hmm. um, because until somebody feels heard and understood, you know, um, then you're going to argue over and over and over about who's right. And it, it becomes an arm wrestling match, mm-hmm. which is just silly. And so uh, what we, another thing that we talk about regularly when we talk about this is the idea of the first goal is the goal. You've used the word connection, which is the relational element. Another way that we think about it, we think about it in terms of content is making the effort to understand mm-hmm. the other person, which means not it means expressing it in such a way that they're able to say to you, you get what I just said to you. Right. Isn't that where you're, you're at? In fact, don't you guys sometimes teach a, a process to, oh, make, yeah. to oh, facilitate that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm feeling a need to be enlightened. Okay. So, um, so enlighten me about that. So um, in all of the multiple models that we're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, there's another three-layered model that I really like that's uh, talking about emotional intensity mm-hmm. in the exchange when there's a difference. Mm-hmm. So whenever we're bumping into differences, problems, or conflicts, emotions are a part of that experience. No, they aren't. <laughs> <laughs> and so we've just set up a, uh, a whole series of communications. Everything is communication. Mm-hmm. Verbal, nonverbal, emotions. Are, it's all communication. Okay. What you don't want, especially when you're talking about differences, problems, or conflicts is to be driving under the influence, DUI. You don't want to be driving under the influence That's never recommended. of negative emotionality. Okay, okay. all right. Uh, because there's a biological thing that happens in your brain. You leave your prefrontal cortex where you do reasoning and analysis, and you get hijacked to your midbrain where you do fight or flight. That sounds dangerous. You cannot do your goal of understanding, reasoning, problem solving when you're in your midbrain. Hmm. See, so you've got to monitor yourself in these emotional zones, uh, and we we think of it as the red, yellow, and green. If you're in the green zone, typically your emotionality is uh, not driving you to create new problems on top of the problems that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so your normal way of talking should serve you well. If the emotionality gets so much I'm in the red zone, there's no kind of talking that can be constructive. (laughs) And so the rule there is no talking. Hmm. Uh, And so the, the idea is you need a timeout to get your physiological baseline back in place again. Mm-hmm. One of our uh, most revered researchers, John Gottman, says, unless you're like a star athlete, you shouldn't be having a problem conversation if your heart rate is over 95 beats per minute. Hmm. So you can, uh, that's one of the ways you can moderate, monitor. You can actually wear your monitor. <laughs> my Fitbit tells say, me to shut up. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it's, it's actually better if you're doing self-monitoring rather than reporting on the other person's That's exactly right. Yeah. That's right. Which, which, yeah. which gets into something I'm going to come back to later. And, and isn't there another element that sometimes it's helpful to say to someone, can I put in different words which you've just said to me to see if I understand what it is that you're saying to yes. me? Yes. And so that would yeah. be the yellow zone. Okay. 
So in the yellow zone, we say you need a structure. It's like guardrails on a curvy mountain road that's wet. So mm -hmm. you may bounce off of the guardrails a little bit, but you're not going over the side. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the structure is something that both people willingly agree to ahead of time mm -hmm. that promotes understanding, even though you may be clear that we have 100% disagreement we can still have 100% understanding. So the, the key here is, and, and I don't know if I can stress this enough, is that the initial goal in a conversation is to be sure, if I can say it this way, you understand each other, that you're on the same page about what it is you're talking about. Um, before you move into the assessment mode, I have a line that I do when I speak about this in the context of cultural engagement where I say to people, you need to mute your heresy, doctrinal, attitudinal meter in mute it now i didn't say shut it off because it's there and you're going to be processing stuff but that's not the first place you go that's not the default place to reside the, my first responsibility is to hear what the person is saying to me because it could be that in the midst of that conversation i get a glimpse relationally of what is driving them that may actually help us in the conversation if i do some good job of listening fair absolutely yeah so we say another way of saying to structure it is to say let's set aside the solution mm -hmm. neither one of us are going to work on a solution right now that let's call that stage two mm -hmm. stage one the goal is just understanding and then you pursue that because once you understand what it is that you disagree what it is precisely you disagree about and at what level that disagreement is operating at the better off your chances of getting somewhere. Now you've raised, you raised another issue earlier I wanna come back to, which is the whole idea of trust. Um, because sometimes one person may go into a conversation pretty well-intentioned, and the other person may not be in that space. Um, in fact, the number one question I get when I do this afterwards is, well, what do you do when you walk into the conversation and you want to go there and the other person isn't the least bit interested in going there? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? And what does that mean for the dynamics of the conversation? And are you stuck at that point? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I think it comes back to connection mm -hmm. and and trying to communicate that that's what you're chasing, that that's what you want mm -hmm. is the connection and to see if somebody's willing to do that. Even if they're not willing to engage in the overall um, question of what you're gonna do or where you're gonna land um, in a conflict, it's will you at least engage with me to connect mm -hmm. and, and start there. Yeah. And so sometimes that involves, uh, I think practically, the, the asking of questions that push towards understanding as opposed to staying at this level of the topic and the debate. Is, I mean, it, that's one way to probe whether it's even possible to go there with the other sure. person. There's a couple other models that can help us here. I was just okay. in a session this morning with somebody where this was going on. Okay. So um, you can really want connection with someone and have very positive intentions, but still be creating a negative impact in the other person the way you're trying to get a connection. Okay. And so... You can't just say, because I want a connection and because I have positive intentions, that you should have a positive impact. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be a, a 
teachability that I have my own filters that messages are going through and you have your filters that messages are going through. Mm -hmm. And there's a great likelihood that things are going to get bent mm -hmm. in the process. And even though I have positive intentions, you can still have a negative impact. By the very way that you go about doing what you're because doing. Because of both of our filters. Right, right. See? And it's not just a one-person problem. It yeah. could be a double person. Let me, let me give you an example that I think uh, helps break this down a little bit and kind of shows where we're at and use myself. My wife will often say to me, I won't say how often, you're not paying attention to me. Okay? Um, I know the moment she says that, I'm in a bad moment. <laughs> and um, usually it's happening when I'm multitasking. Uh, I'm paying attention to something on my screen. She's talking to me, uh, and she says, you're not paying attention to me. And then my instinct is to immediately parrot back to her, because I can do this, exactly what she's just said to me, you know, uh, which then all that does is frustrate the boo out of her. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I, we, and my guess is that's the exa an example of the type exactly. of thing that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because actually, and, and, then, and then I have what I call the moment of decision, okay? <laughs> the organ is playing, you know, and I've been invited right. forward, and the decision is do I stay in my seat or do I come forward? And here's the, here's the, decision, here's the decision that I have. I can sit there and explain to her and defend the multitasking that I'm engaged in. Yes. Or I can make the effort to understand what it is she is really saying to me when she's saying I'm not paying attention to her. And hopefully with enough sensitivity to realize what she's really saying to me is I want your undivided attention and I'm not getting it. And that is communicating what you think about me as a person vis-a-vis -vis what you're doing now. And all that's going on. Not any of it has been consciously verbalized. Exactly. Right. But that is exactly what is going on in terms of the levels. And you're going down. And of course, what I'm reacting out of is the identity level, which says she just accused me of being a bad husband. Okay. And if there's one thing I'm not, it's a bad husband. Okay. So, I'm, yeah. so the tendency is to defend yourself. Okay. Totally. To produce totally. the rebuttal and to defend yourself when in fact, uh, what needs to be done is to take a step back and realize and hear what it is that she's saying to you. It will make all the difference in the world in the conversation what, what decision I make in the hour of decision. Sure. Yeah. Well, and she can also learn how to approach those conversations with more I statements of I'm feeling like you're not available. Mm -hmm. hmm. um, and start it that way Right. as we grow in knowing how to do this <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so there's a there is a but i love your example daryl because it's the same thing that you know i'm caught up with kathy at home it's mm -hmm. the very same thing it's yeah. the same thing that all couples that i see in private practice it's the same thing that people who aren't married to each other but they're still bumping into differences like roommates it's, it's the yeah. same yeah. thing yeah okay and so Positive intent does not equal positive impact. Right. And, and if I can just accept that and not m try to convince you that you should have a positive impact because I had a positive intention. If I can take the defensiveness out of it. Right. Right. Say, I can explain my positive intentions later, mm -hmm. but right now... I need to move towards your negative impact. Right. Not against it and not away from it. I got to move towards it. Okay, now you've just brought up another. We were working in threesomes today. <laughs> a lot of models. Yeah, a lot of models, but that's, that's helpful. In, in other words, every conversation that we face has three elements, has three potentialities in it. Yes. Right? 
towards, against, and away. Yes. Okay. Now, most people think you're only dealing with two, towards and, towards and against. But the more subtle one of those three, it seems to me, is the move away, yes. which actually is the one that normally happens, particularly in marital relationships or in close family relationships. What you tend to do is withdraw. Exactly. I'm not going to be hostile, and I'm going to be very, uh, maybe even passive, passively yes. uh, withdrawn. And, and that can be as damaging to a relationship as actually, if, if someone's against me, at least I know what I'm dealing with. Yes. So, so are we... Yes, and you yeah. could even say, in a way, is a sneaky against. Ooh. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you think about two different people, you have four possibilities. You have a fight-fight, mm -hmm. or against-against. Right. You have a flee-flee, mm -hmm. a way-away. Then you have where there's one of each. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you just look at marriages... The most in America, the most common of those four patterns is where the wife has the positive intention of connecting to resolve a problem, and the husband has the positive intention of not fighting because that makes the relationship bad. Okay, I can already see where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> so, as the one is moving towards positively, the other is moving away positively. Okay? <laughs> and they're off. And they're <laughs> Another 10 years. Yeah. Okay. So, you can see it's that positive intentions aren't the thing. Yeah. Yeah. See? Um, they're creating a negative impact in each, and the one's person's negative impact makes the other person do the more thing that creates another more negative impact. And so that's the negative feedback loop that gets reinforced. Right. Now, we haven't mentioned any scripture so far, and we can't go through a cultural engagement chapel with at least taking a shot at scripture. Okay. So, so what we're talking about here is how to love well, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, we are talking about how to engage and connect with people that communicates, first of all, I care about you as a person. And with that having been established, then work on the things where we're kind of rubbing against each other. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's, it's everywhere in Scripture yeah. once you start yeah. getting that, sensitized. That's exactly to. right, yeah. Um, so, okay, well, we now have hit, uh, that kind of sets the table. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, as you can see, we've got microphones. For those of you who are new, the microphones allow you to come up and and ask a question, so feel free to come up to the microphones if you have a question. But as you can see, um, and you guys are so sharp, I mean, they put this up on the screen, I didn't say anything about it, and I've got a whole slew of questions right here on my phone for those of you who, who prefer to remain anonymous as you ask the question. Uh, and we have no problem with anonymity in cultural engagement chapels. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, 
or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. So, um, um, so here's, here's a question right at the start, and this, this is a softball, but what kinds of difficult conversations can these ideas be applied to? I mean, all. all yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, this is a, this is a, we are non-discriminatory on right. this, right? I mean, it just it, it it applies across the board everywhere. I normally give these when I'm normally talking about this, I'm talking about public square conversations. And the first time I did this, the first reaction I got from the floor was, I feel like I was just at a marriage conference. Mm-hmm. And I went, yeah, it's a twofer. <laughs> so uh so yes, it very much applies to pretty much uh, everything that comes down. Can I, I just mm-hmm. add a word about yeah. that? Getting back to the theology of side of things, mm-hmm. another three model. Okay. Is uh, I, I think you would have to say any good theology would have to say that number one, theology is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Anytime you have two different people, no matter what the circle is—red, mm-hmm. blue, white, black, husband, wife, roommates. It's inevitable, this side of heaven. Mm-hmm. Okay. Point number two, if you're on autopilot with it, it will naturally lead you to more separation. In other words, if you operate strictly out of your instincts. Yes. Okay. It'll be away or against. Okay. It won't be towards. Okay. But number three is it can also be your catalyst to greater oneness, mm-hmm. but it'll be a oneness that's not based on sameness. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's where the deep theology is. Okay. Right there. Uh, man, there are all kinds of things that I want to. So what you're saying is, is that in order to get here, you have to work at it. That's the first thing. And the payoff on the other end, if you work at it, actually can take you to a much deeper place, even though it may have been challenging to get there. It will be. It will be challenging yes. to get there. Okay. Well, and I love that you said oneness isn't sameness. Yeah. Because that's what we often do is we start off in these conversations trying to get the other person on our side to believe, right. to agree that, that we chase that sameness rather than simply taking the time to understand the other person and understand their position. Let me, let me I'm going to apply another example here so that, so this kind of has some, some vividness to it. Uh, we just recently did a series on world religions. Okay, which obviously involves pretty significant conversations. And traditionally, world way we deal with world religions and Christianity is we take the Bible and we line up the religion against it. And we say, how does this align or not align with what the Scripture says? That's obviously a very important step in thinking about world religions. But it also um, excises out, potentially, the whole relational connection dimension of what would be going on if you had a conversation with someone who has a different religious belief. So we did a series and we built it around three questions. And the three questions were this, what is this religion about? I, you know, many religions, particularly if they're Eastern religions, I tend to know schmatz about them. I mean, you know, why does someone walk into the temple and do what they do in, this, in Buddhism or whatever? And, and so the first question I wanna know is, what, how's this thing structured? How is it, how's it shaping the attitudes of the person that I'm interacting with? The second question is, what's the attraction? Why is a person drawn to this religious faith? What is, it, what is it that it's doing for them as an individual that causes them to be, in, be an adherent? Okay, which is not a normal question that we ask when we right, think about other right, religions. Right. And then the third question is, how does the gospel speak into that attraction? In other words, right. I'm trying to address 
my experience of the person in that world religion from the standpoint of where they are at mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to pull them in what I call a Superman move and making them leap tall theological buildings in a single bound, okay, and pull them to where I am. I'm starting off with where they are and then engaging the conversation accordingly. I see Paul doing this in Acts 17. Yes, yes. And so, um, and so that, that's, that's a connective model in my mind. Am I, yeah. is that yeah, yeah. fair? And I'm, uh, I'm really, really big on information and skills to mm -hmm. help this whole process. Mm -hmm. But over the years, I've kind of understood that that's a necessary, but also insufficient resource mm -hmm. for what we're really talking about here. Mm -hmm. See, And it's really the gospel that frees us up to really do this. I, I could give you a list of names of people that I know personally that are the experts that have written books mm -hmm. on information and skills for this, mm -hmm. and they're divorced and have messed up relationships. Right, exactly. It's, it's not because of a lack of information or skills. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so yeah. the development of how to, how, to, how to relationally connect to people this, this is true of everything in cultural engagement. Everything in cultural engagement is there's the culture and what's going on around you. There's what the Bible has to say about it. Often those two things are in conflict. But I'm still left, once I get through those two stages, of I'm going to relate to the person who's in this different space. Yes. Mm -hmm. How am I actually going to engage them at a personal level and establish enough trust and rapport to be able to, to engage with them? There's something you said to me when we were preparing for this that, that we haven't raised that I want to raise now, and that is... The level of the quality of the conversation is directly related to the amount, to the least amount of trust one of the people has in that conversation. Yes. Would you elaborate on that? Yeah, or you could say the least committed person. Okay. Okay. So if you think of the relational funnel as multi layered, mm -hmm. at the top where it's the biggest, our relationships are most superficial. Mm -hmm. And that's where we have the least amount of feedback and disclosure mm -hmm. because we have the least amount of trust and safety. Mm -hmm. At the very bottom, where it's the smallest, there's only room for a few people there, but that should be functionally our deepest levels of feedback and disclosure because we have corresponding deeper levels of trust and safety. Okay, So there's graduated in-between levels. Mm -hmm. And so the the connection or the depth of the feedback and disclosure has to match the trust and safety. The least committed person or the least safe or least trusting person, trustworthy person, is the one that determines if it has to go to another they control level. The role. They control the, they the quality of the conversation. They do. No matter how much I want that person to be deep with me, mm -hmm. I have to realize that they're the ones that are controlling the level mm. of the relationship. Yeah, I think that's a very important um, insight to have as we think about this. Question? Yeah, okay. So um, if anybody knows me, you know I really don't have a problem telling people what I think about stuff. <laughs> so my question is, when you're trying to reach a certain goal uh, and it's not connection, or you're trying to move forward in a, in a space or a place, when is it appropriate to push? Yeah. I think you can speak the truth in love, but pushing is going to be an against experience by the other person, and so it's going to be a counterproductive. So 
by saying that, I'm not saying you don't speak the truth, but you have to speak the truth as you're moving towards. Speaking the truth, moving against, is gonna move things up in the funnel. So, so, so then that raises a natural question is, so how then do you, well, let me back up. One of the challenges of sharing the gospel or thinking about a gospel-oriented conversation is inevitably is a, it is a challenge invitation tension, okay? You're challenging people with where they are because sin is not an easy topic, okay? But you also have the invitation part of it, but there's a way into this relationship that makes that obstacle not insurmountable. And you're trying to balance those two things. So how do you, uh, let me use a different word than push. How do, you, how do you challenge people when you're in this mode? And I think what I'm hearing you say is if you've built enough trust, then you've got a chance of going there. But if you haven't, it will be absolutely counterproductive. It will. And yeah. so, um, uh, you know, the, the line, again, that we use regularly goes something like this. People will not care about your critique unless they know you care. And so building that trust of caring sets up uh, the possibility for going deep. And when you go deep, inevitably, you're going to go to places that challenge. Mm -hmm. But if you try and go deep without that, then you'll it, get defensiveness, you'll get defensiveness yeah. and pushback, yeah. um, plus all the other things that we do in these you'll, conversations. You'll get either more moving against or more moving away yeah. as a result. There's a whole other layer to this conversation that we don't have time to go into, but normally when we talk about this, uh, there are things that we do that sabotage these conversations. Uh, and I'll just do a quick list. Things like um, someone brings up something where you're at fault and your reaction is what I call the yes but. It's called the pivot, okay? Mm -hmm. All right? Yeah, I do that. I call it the quick confession too, okay? Yeah, I'm guilty as charged, but now let's talk about what you do and it's worse, okay? And we, if you, all you have to do is watch about 10 seconds of television and you'll see that on a regular basis coming daily to your screens between 7 to 10 at night. So, um, <laughs> Um, so that's, that's one. Another one that we do is what I call the label. I label what you say, drape it in black, play taps over it so I can put it to death, and that avoids me talking in detail about what it yes. is that you've raised. The labeling, I call that the exorcist approach. Mm -hmm. I just put the letter on it and move on. Okay. So there are things that we do that undercut our conversations. Totally. Are there are there other things that you can think of that we do that are kind of in the that list kind of, is endless. Okay. See, uh -huh. I mean, it just goes yeah. on and on. It's our defense mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes we have an awareness, but a lot of times we have no awareness. Yeah. And, and all those things either represent an attempt to move away or an attempt to move against. Yeah. And you alluded to this earlier, Dr. Barnes, about how important it is to regulate yourself, that you've got to pay attention to what's going on with you and you have to know when you're being defensive. You have to know when all that stuff's coming into play for yourself. Because if somebody's just pointing it out um, and you don't already know about it, <laughs> yeah. we, we tend to push back and, and work sure. against. But if, I'm, if I know my stuff and I've done my work and I know when my stuff's coming into the conversation, uh, it's, there's a much higher chance that that conversation's gonna be productive. You know what I'm gonna do? I've never done this before. I'm just gonna go through the list of questions that I have here. I'm not looking for responses. I wanna show you how, what we've triggered, okay? 
How can you monitor your emotion while still being genuine and communicating your thoughts and feelings? In a context of a relationship in which both people aren't viewed on the same level, i.e. mother, daughter, boss, employee, what options are available for the person who might have to justify being heard, especially if the other party doesn't see it necessary to really listen? In these kinds of conversations, what is the role of defining terms and getting on the same page about what we are referring to? How should we handle words or language that can be problematic or triggering? I must be drunk because too many conflicts are handled under the influence of emotion. <laughs> How can I practice removing negative emotion before having the conversation? For those of us who are relationally challenged, can you concretely define connection? I hear you say chase connection. What is connection and how do I know that I've connected? Thank you. Uh, that's good. Actually, the next line was thanks. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. If you are dealing with anyone already prejudiced against what they assume you are about and their language is filled with loaded terms and extreme thinking, do you try to unpack those statements and attitudes? Do you start with asking defining questions? What do you do when you get a true, to get a true conversation going? What are some of the healthy ways to respond to passive-aggressive people? What would be best to do if both of us, a couple, at the same time have no room for the right conversation because of babies, papers, parents, ministries? That sounds like a seminary question. Um, what do you do if it's clear that we have radically different views? I think you're going to need another chapel. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I think, uh, let, me ju let me just say this, our, you know, our time is rapidly going. I'm going to take time to take these last two questions, but let me just say this. The reason we did this is that um, you will find out the moment you enter into ministry, you will be walking into a series of all kinds of difficult conversations. If you do not have any clue how to even walk into this space, then uh, it will not be long before just the emotional drain of pursuing all this will eat you up in ministry. Amen. And so, um, so this is no minor area that we're talking about. This is, in many ways, the core at the relational level of pastoral ministry that we are talking about here. So, yes, we may need to do another. I, I guarantee you we're going to do several podcasts on it. And, uh, and I now have a list of questions for us to go through. Okay, so floor is open again over here. Yeah, I was wondering about in this desire to be heard and understood how that might manifest itself improperly. Um, and if, if it can, uh, what are some corrective ways that we can um, reform our character into more Christ-likeness? Yeah. You got I got a response. Go ahead. You got Go ahead. Response. Okay, so... One of the um, big, big breakthroughs for being able to move towards mutual understanding is when I'm not getting understanding to have my first response be back to what part of this is something that needs to get worked on on my side. See? And this is where I've really become big time impacted about the gospel for most of us is way too small, way too small. We need to expand what the gospel is for us spiritually, but we also need to expand what the gospel is for us psychologically. And relationally. When, yeah, yeah those yeah, two go together right. for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
because the gospel frees me up psychologically. It frees me up from the expectations of the other person for my own personal okayness. See? The minute I make an expectation on the other person that their response to me is connected to some level of okayness in me personally, that's too much weight for the relationship, and that interaction is going to go bad. Okay? So this is getting back to the gospel. It's, the gospel gives me spiritual freedom, but it gives me psychological freedom. It gives me sociological freedom. And, and that I have to be convinced that it's the gospel that gives me that freedom to love someone who cannot meet the deep needs of my soul. That's the only way that I'll be able to move towards someone who's adversarial to me. That's how I love my enemy. See, you can't do that apart from the gospel authentically. It's, it's the gospel that's going to free me that way. in the previous question, but uh, uh, what is the one practical tip that you uh, want to give as a seminarian in the student body uh, so that we can love well? Um, because, you know, it's information, it's all that, but, um, and then love well, I believe it's, it's a, something you have to be intentionally practiced, um, and uh, it, it's really, really, really tough. So what is one practical tip that you can give us here to love one another well at DTS? Yeah, you're going to have to be gripped by how well-loved you are. Mm -hmm. I mean, not just know it. Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, Paul's prayer to believers who were following Christ at a big cost to themselves was that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's being gripped by the love. It's the compelling love of Christ. That'd be like a great name for a documentary. <laughs> the compelling love <laughs> of Christ. Yeah, I mean, I, the, and, and I think what Gary is alluding to is to the extent that you allow your identity to rest in the, in the acceptance that you have from the Creator, your identity is no longer placed in threat by anything else that's going right. around you. Mm -hmm. And so the, and, and that's what I see oftentimes the church in the public square space operating out of fear mm -hmm. or frustration or anger. And the moment I see that, I know they are not resting in their identity right. in Christ. Um, and so hopefully we will be teaching you as you move through your classes how wonderfully blessed not entitled but how wonderfully blessed you are by grace yes and if you appreciate that god reached out to you when you had your back turned to god and brought you to himself and that that's what you're called to model to a needy world then you will be prepared to image the gospel in your interactions with the people that mm -hmm. you have well, unfortunately, our time is up. Let me close this in a word of prayer. I want to thank you for being very attentive. I certainly want to thank our guests for helping us initiate.
this conversation. So let me pray. Father, we do seek to be your children, not in word only, but in deed. And indeed, we seek for you to change us from the inside out. And that means um, taking our tendencies to think about the world from our own perspective and with our own desires and to hand those over to you. Help us to do that in the context of your grace. Help us to realize that you reached out to us when we weren't interested. And help us to model the initiation and the love that represented, that was represented when you sent your son to the cross and we helped put him there. We thank you for this opportunity to reflect on how you engage with us through the circumstances of life, often difficult ones. And we pray for wisdom and patience and tolerance and big ears as we have the conversations that we need to have in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. Love well.